Welcome everyone to episode 163 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Liam Toher to review Liverpool's 2-0 win over Everton in the Merseyside Derby. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool have once again won the Merseyside Derby 2-0 at Anfield. It's the third season in a row in which they've done that and they were aided by a red card for Ashley Young in the 37th minute of the match but they wouldn't find the breakthrough until 15 minutes from time when Mohamed Salah scored from the penalty spot and then they made sure of the points right at the end um, with a 97th minute goal on the counter attack with just a couple of minutes of added time remaining so it is a victory it's a victory that puts Liverpool um, a point behind Manchester City and Arsenal at the top of the Premier League as it stands with Tottenham Hotspur still to play on Monday. So, Liam, you know the drill by now. Three-head match reviews and your assessment of that performance because it was hard work, that one. Certainly, David, yeah. I think for a long time it looked like it's going to be one of those where we were just dominating, dominating and nothing was going to come of it. Um if I, if you're just did probably get a set piece and mug a winner that way, is uh, that fight about for a long time, but got there in the end and three or match review, patience pays off. I think that it definitely was a case of uh, of patience yesterday. Um because you have to just keep reminding yourself that, you know, there was you know, a certain amount of time left on the clock, but it was taken forward all the time and mm. every sort of misplaced pass every sort of you know pot shot that we were taking you got a little bit more frustrated a little bit more anxious I think and um, obviously in the end Liverpool were able to get the breakthrough Um my three-head match view was a helping hand in reference to mm. Michael Keane giving Liverpool a penalty and you could argue that Liverpool were basically in need of a penalty really because from open play they were really really struggling to to break Everton down and to create some of the clear cuts and obviously Everton had pretty much all their defenders in the box but that's natural and Liverpool just weren't kind of moving the ball well enough quickly enough cleverly enough to to get through um by other means so the penalty was what what they needed obviously brilliantly converted by Salah um smashed it past Jordan Pickford but this is why I get nervous for Merseyside derbies. We spoke about it in the build-up to mm. the game, really, when we were on our, our sort of preview podcast for it, about how even though Liverpool are always heavy favourites, there is sort of a sense of anxiety. And I made the point that it's really straightforward in these games, even if the record books will show that this was another 2-0 win, but they won't necessarily show that Liverpool made such hard work of it and that for a long period it wasn't clear whether they were going to be able to um, come away with the three points. So I think this is a, this is a classic Merseyside derby in some ways and the, the concerns that you might have over the performance I think are probably abated a little bit by the fact that the main thing is just getting the win and that applies most of all um, in a derby against Everton probably. Um, especially when you look at, like, like I say, that Liverpool's track record in this fixture down the years, um, and playing against ten men. I mean, you don't want to make too many excuses, but I think coming into this game, or certainly as of a couple of weeks ago, I, I wrote an article about it, and I think the I think nine out of sixteen teams 
it was it was roughly nine out of sixteen teams who've gone down to ten men have avoided defeat. So teams are adapting, and teams with eleven men are, are struggling. And Liverpool, I thought, were playing through the thirds quite well in the first half. I mean, Everton went too sort of compact, I don't think, and obviously having chances on the counter attack. So I think Liverpool would have won the game if it was eleven v eleven still, and they might have actually won it more easily. But again, as we see repeatedly. I think when you're playing 10 men, I mean, you can look at it tactically, but I also think that just the the pressure that you feel to to do something, and like I mentioned earlier, every single time something goes wrong, you get more and more sort of frustrated mm-hmm. and a little bit more nervous. I think that can work against you sometimes. And um, I think we saw that a little bit, but yeah, I mean, ultimately it was too long for Everton to, to hold out in the end, as it turns out. And that is only four defeats in 48 matches against Everton now, um, which is a, incredible record and again you know all the numbers look um incredibly dominant but often the victories are a bit more close forward i mean liam would you kind of agree with my assessment that it was just a case of getting the job done in the end then absolutely yeah i think like we said the other day i don't think any Liverpool fans are any illusions that this was going to be a stroll in the park i mean despite our position in the table and despite everton's um, I think they actually were probably this on a slightly better run of form coming into, into the game over the last three or four matches. So, and like we said, there's been situations before where we've been going for titles, they've been battling to stay up, and they still find a way to like, dig in and and make it very very difficult. Um, so like I think any all of us would have expected it a, a difficult day at the office, and so again you got got to give everything because. Give Everton credit as well. Even at Nilly, when I was watching yesterday, the guys, they're they're thinking, yeah, I mean, like Liverpool, they were doing plenty right in terms of like dominating possession and you know, getting into good areas, but like that, they just weren't moving the ball quickly enough. You know, especially when when Everton were down to ten, um, you know, like their crosses going wayward. They're like all fine up to maybe got to the penalty area, but once then is. I just just didn't have the guy really to, to to break them down, and I suppose had it got had it ended up in the, I think would have had to give credit to Everton, because they did exactly what you would expect any team to do in that situation, and up until Michael Keane's hand ball, they did it impeccably. Um, but yeah, like I said, my trade review was ultimately it was just keep talking, keep going, keep going, and eventually, in fact, like if Everton might creak, and like I know it might have been. You know, like an art, like a slightly fortuitous error by Michael Keane to you know, to give us the penalty from which we made the breakthrough. But I mean, that's all I think when, that's all you can do in that situation is from from Liverpool's point of view is just keep just keep at it. You know, eventually you know could have been a lapse in concentration there that we would have seized upon. Um, even towards the end, like when they were throwing bodies forward and you know, the counter attack, which led which led to the second goal. Again, like they like they had had to go for broke at that stage and like that we just took advantage of it and put put the gates bed later on. So yeah, I mean a real a real sog. Um but I think in some ways that almost makes it even more satisfying in in the end. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Uh, especially because there was, you know, a period there where it was hanging in the balance a little bit and I agree with you that, you know, the final piece just wasn't there, and uh, you know there were some great Everton defence performances. I think Jared Brandtwaite would be sort of the main one. Obviously, the midfielders were were helping out very effectively too. But it was just 
sort of Liverpool were getting into those areas and in terms of clear cut chances that they created in the second half, I mean, I can think of I think Salah and Gravenberg had shots blocked in fairly quick succession. Mm. But aside from that, I mean, even watching the highlights of match today, I think th- those are the only real sort of ch- you know big chances, decent opportunities off Liverpool until obviously it gets to the uh, the penalty. So they made um, they made very hard work of it, as I've said, but in the end um, managed to. To get the victory, and obviously Klopp was absolutely delighted with a, a new variation on his uh, fist pump mm-hmm. celebration. Um, we better get into the penalty decision. Penalty and the red card are, are clear enough, um, I would say, for uh, Ashley Young. I mean, it's it's too obvious for whole offences. I don't think there needs to be any sort of discourse on that. But do we accept that Liverpool were? lucky with the um, Ibrahim Akanate decision to, for him to stay on the pitch with his uh, couple of fouls? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I've yet, in, of any Liverpool fans that I've spoken to since the game, I've yet to find one who said anything other than Kanate was very lucky to avoid that that second yellow. Um, and if we, it's, it's kind of, it's cool because when I was watching it back, I was saying, if you think back to the four red cards that we have had in the Premier League this season, Kanate's one was arguably more worthy of a second yellow on Julia Red than any of the other four. Like apart from me, I know we've had the discussion with Jotters at Tottenham being that when he was on the yellow and that tackle he made to get himself the second one, um, Joe was was a definitely had a card offence. But uh, obviously the first from that day was extremely contentious. Um, I, I suppose I mean. I'm not saying too wrong to make a right, but you probably will get some Liverpool fans saying if any team has due a break refereeing wise after the last month or so, it would have been us. Um but absolutely we got one we got one yesterday over over Kanate's foul that, that should have been the second general and I think it'd have to be sort of like ridiculously biased to say anything other than he was very fortunate. Yeah, I like to think that we're um, fairly balanced and um, on this podcast, and we accept when Liverpool have been lucky, and they were definitely in this case. I think it felt like the referee did bottle it a little bit, to be honest. I mean, to make the challenge that he made when he was on a yellow card, you know, for me, he has to be sent off at that point. Um, so I understand why I've been because it was still nil nil at that moment. Um, although, based on how the first half of Liverpool actually were. Might have preferred to play um, with kind of numerical parity, but um, yeah, I think he should have been sent off. And uh, I also completely agree with you, though, Liam, that Liverpool are due a bit of the rub of the green when it comes to the officiating because the, the natural thing is, I mean, obviously, we want you know, going into a season, you want the right decisions to be made and you just want you know, the fairness, but you're just not going to get that. I mean, with, with kind of human error with humans, you know, being sort of mm-hmm. maybe feeling the pressure in certain moments. And um, this is one of those examples. And this time it's coming to Liverpool's favour pretty much every other time it felt like it, it's gone against them. Um, so the hope now is that things do sort of even themselves out over the course of the season. And there is still a bit of evening out to do, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. um, I would say. But, you know, this was definitely a day where Liverpool were on the right side of that. Um, we'll obviously see what happens in games to come. Because um, it's inevitable that teams are going to feel the benefit and sort of feel the sting of um, some refereeing errors over 
over the course of a campaign, really. I mean, I don't get why there was any sort of debate over the other decisions. I mean, the penalty that Liverpool get. There was people lumping it in yesterday with the um, the penalty that Saliba gave away in the uh, Chelsea-Arsenal game. And to me, that's a completely false equivalence because that one, you can say that I think Saliba's arm position is pretty natural for someone who's kind of jumping and trying to propel themselves off the ground. Whereas this one, there's no need for, for Michael Keane's arm to be sort of out at like a 90 degree angle to his side. And I just think that that one is, the Saliba one is one I look at and say, right, the handball rule needs to change. But the Keane one is like, that's a textbook handball, really, I, I would say. Um, just because of how sort of egregious the, the, the arm position actually is. Um, and the red card as well. I mean, you're not going to see sort of a, a kind of better example of two yellows, I think, than that. Um, sometimes I think when there's a decision that's made, people feel the need to have a, you know, a discourse over it and have a debate. But sometimes it doesn't need to be one. I mean, it, it's it's just absolutely clear. Um, I, I don't think I can have any legitimate complaints about those other two decisions. I just think, yeah, it's the um, it's the Canarte one that if you were Everton fan, you would you would be seething over. But um, like I say, from the Liverpool standpoint, hopefully it's there. Their luck starting to come back round a little bit. Um, let's move on to the kind of positive headlines. And I mean, Mohamed Salah scores twice again. He's now scored 105 times in Anfield, which is more than Steven Gerrard and Kenny Dalglish. I think puts him sixth on the all-time list of goals at Anfield. Pretty similar to his position, I think, on the overall goal scoring charts. Liam, do you think his best quality is his ability to score and provide assists when he isn't playing well. I think that's always epitomizes what we love about, so much about the man is that we can in get games like yesterday where for a long time he just seems to be totally out of it and like nowhere near the player we know he can be. But I think that's the reason why he's almost unanimously starts every single week that he's fit and available. And the reason that he rarely get substituted is because you know that in a match like like yesterday's where it's tight and tense and it looks like you're not going to make the breakthrough if there is one man you would want on the pitch to you know, like to turn that around it is more sad like we've seen it time and again over the last um over the last six years or so like even the manner we should be smashed a penalty like the it was, I mean, it, all, it, had, it had been an issue last season. I remember, like, the one at Bournemouth when he, like, drove it horribly wide. Um, so it would have been understandable if there was, you know, if some if his fans even were a little bit nervous yesterday when, you know, when Salah was stepping up to the spot. But, like, the way he dispatched it, I mean, Pickford was, probably hadn't even moved at the time Salah was off celebrating. Like, it was just that well struck. And, and even the finish was out for the second goal. I mean, it wasn't the easiest ball in the world to, to take, you know, it, it, from from Nunes's past, but the way in which he just swept it past Pickford, like, that is the sign of a true elite world class finisher. And as you say, even when in an afternoon for large periods he was nowhere near his best. That's why you leave him on the pitch because he is the man who eventually, you know, when he gets the chance, more likely than not he takes it. Yeah, I mean that's what I was going to say in terms of. You know, Salah's probably played 90 minutes more than 
any other um, attacking player, maybe even midfield player, um, since he's been at Liverpool, just because Klopp knows that he has the faith that, that when the sort of big moments arrive, that Salah will be the one to kind of, you know, step up and, and convert them, really. And, um, I mean, his numbers lately have been absolutely astonishing. Uh, it's that 13 consecutive home games with at least one goal involvement and 29 goal contributions in his last 24 Premier League matches overall. You know, he's in a level of form that makes it kind of unconscionable that he might be allowed to leave to go to Saudi Arabia next year. But that's obviously a discussion for another day. And just on the, you know, scoring when not playing well thing. And then Klopp said that was his favourite thing about him. And that's something that's kind of stuck with me because to a degree, I think it's been a bit of the theme this season. Um, There's been a few moments where we've, where Salah's scored a couple of goals or got a golden assist or something like that. And we haven't really spoke about him on here. And that's probably because his performance wasn't actually the best, but he has kind of just become an increasingly robotic at this stage of his career. And, when you can provide that output, even when you're not at the sort of absolute best version of yourself, then to a degree, it doesn't really matter because those are obviously the moments that, that win you the points and then those points are what can win you the trophies, hopefully, um, at the end of the season. So I think it's fair to say that Salah wasn't really the player of the match, despite scoring twice. I mean, he probably won the award, but in terms of performance, qualities alone, over the full game, it probably wasn't him. So if not... Salah, then Liam, who would you pick out uh, from Liverpool as the best player yesterday? Um, there was, I think, this one of those where there was no standout performer. Like there were several very good performances. Uh, uh, Luis Diaz probably is one. Um, like, tormented Everton uh, on, on their right flank on um, all afternoon. And to be fair, like, when he was had to play that sort of unfamiliar wing back role as it was after Simicast went off. Um, he had a bit of an unfamiliar one for, for Diaz but he adapted to it he adapted to, to it commendably and like I know we were looking at like for one or two people complaining about his, his output and I suppose that is one aspect where I think Diaz can improve but performance wise so very hard to fault him yesterday Um I, I thought Gravenbrush was, was superb before I was very surprised he got taken off Um, when he did I mean I I was fully expecting it was going to be in the Callister who who got so big, especially after going back from South America. Um, but I think Grafenbrush on his first Premier League start again put his hand up for inclusion over the next few games. Um, and probably worded a bit of an unsung hero for me as well was Virgil Van Dijk. And um, again, this is a guy who has had a lot of scrutiny um, over the last year or so, and like we know about his history with like for better and for worse with this particular fixture. Um, but yet, yet, like yesterday, like again, like you might say, like he hadn't a lot. Like the Liverpool defence hadn't had a, a whole lot to do. But anything that they were asked to do, like Van Dijk in particular, was magnificent. I look at this. I think he won something like twelve jewels, um, which is which was the most of any Liverpool player for like ninety four passes completed, like the most of any, most of any other player as well. I think he even like got far, like attacking wise, actually got far than. <laughs> And had a, a shot or two from what I, what I can recall. Um, but yeah, I thought he was like, and dealt with the threat of, I mean, Calvert Lewin and like Beto, then when he came on, like two centre forwards who like, are both known for their physicality um, and both they like, could have really offered a threat um, from set pieces or whatever. Van Dyke just dealt with both of them so, so well. Um, 
definitely like one of his strongest performances in a while. Um, yeah, I think him, Diaz and Grattenbrush for me were three of the, of the standouts. Yeah, you've picked out um, a couple of similar players to me, really. I mean, I'll start with Graven Birch, full Premier League debut. I think a lot of people wanted him to start against Brighton before the international break. Obviously, he comes on in that game and, and impresses and then earns his chance to, to go from the off here with Curtis Jones suspended. And I think if... Um, I think Jones still has one more game of his suspension to serve um, next week against Nottingham Forest. So I think if Graven Birch plays well there, you'd imagine Jones will play on Thursday against Toulouse. But if Graven Birch starts the next Premier League game as he should and, and delivers again, then it's going to be a bit of a um, a tough one, I think, for, for Jurgen Klopp because Jones has been has been really good again this season. But Graven Birch, I mean, the, the decision-making that he's showing in possession is, is really encouraging. I think he I think he just looks he just looks so calm as well. Mm. You know, for someone who's making his sort of like I say, full Premier League debut in the Merseyside Derby, you know, it looked like it was he was sort of strutting about in the final minutes of a of a three nil victory or something like that. And um he just to me brings something that I've not seen from a Jurgen Klopp midfielder. He just has this kind of elegance about him. And it's just really refreshing to be honest. And I think to be fair, the whole midfield yesterday, while I don't think it was necessarily the absolute best version of it. I think you just there's moments when you look at it and think to yourself, you know, this is so much better than what we had last season, just in terms of the the technical quality that you're seeing. And it almost surprises you a little bit when you know they're threading passes and when they're sort of um, bringing difficult balls under their control and things like that. Because last season we were seeing. You know, a lot of a lot of scruffiness really in that department. Um, so it is just um such a nice change in that area. And I was also surprised that Klopp took him off, not even on the basis of the way he performed, you know, in the first half and, and early in the second, but just because there was a moment in that cup tie against Leicester where he sort of um he like dragged the ball past the defender and then slipped it through to Gakpo and you just looked at it and thought that's exactly the kind of um, ingenuity that you need when you're coming up against a low block. Um, and I think he would have been, you know, one of the players who helped Liverpool break Everton down from, from that point of view. Obviously, Klopp took him off. And I think sometimes when there's a new player, it does tend to be kind of, they step up quite gradually in terms of minutes. I mean, he started, he's obviously played, you know, in the cup competitions, but he got kind of, I think, roughly half an hour against Brighton. And now to get 60 minutes, I mean, I think he'll sort of push up now towards sort of 75, 90. But maybe Klopp just kind of likes to be quite cautious. Um, I'm sure he would have been disappointed to come off. But also, I mean, we're talking about someone who for most of the last season was playing kind of, you know, five, 10 minutes in games if he was playing at all. So, um, you know, I think it's probably an element of management there. You know, Harvey Elliott obviously comes on. I thought he did very well. In fairness, probably the reason why we're not kind of talking about the Graven Birch substitution more. I think he kind of brought the fresh ideas that were needed in terms of, you know, always looking for those combinations, the speed he was playing with, the the directness he was playing with. I think that was good to see. And I'm not sure when Elliot starts at games whether he's fully taken his opportunity, but when he's come on from the bench, I think that he's always delivered. And, and that's a really good asset for Klopp to have, you know, just kind of that game changer. Obviously, you've got your attackers who are always going to be there. Nunez, a prime example of that, was coming off to get an assist. But... He's also a, a midfielder who can really impact the game. And yeah, I mean, Van Dyke too. I mean, can I say in my tip, I thought 
were really good um, when they were on the pitch. Obviously, we know Canate was a bit lucky, but generally, I think he defended really well, aside from sort of one error where um, mm. Van Dijk had to you know, sort of step across and um, concede concede a corner. But yeah, Van Dijk just completely physically dominant. And it's one of them where it's a very simple task. I mean, he's not going to have too much to do against Everton generally, if we're being honest. I mean, even, even less so when they go down to 10 men. But when he was called into kind of action to de- engage with Calvert-Lewin and engage with Beto, you know, he was just so dominant in those duels. And it was like seeing the Van Dyke of old in moments. And then Carragher said something before the game about Van Dyke is kind of seen as a shadow of his former self. But the reality is that he's not really kind of, you know, falling off a cliff or anything like that. And even at a slightly sort of inferior version to that sort of 2019 player, he's still one of the best centre-backs mm. in the Premier League and in the world. And I think yesterday was a pretty perfect demonstration of that. So, yeah, I think whilst Liverpool weren't convincing, again, you'd have to say maybe it would have been different if it was 11 v 11. Um, well, they weren't convincing in the circumstances. There were still definitely a few performances to, to take as major positives. And Liam, just a final word from you then. I mean, we've got a run of fixtures coming up now. Um, obviously, some Europa League Cup action, but also, you know, Forest next week um, and then Brentford, I believe. And then... Um, or is it, is it Luton and Brentford? Forest, Luton, Brentford. Yeah, so we've got Forest, Luton, Brentford. So it's an opportunity to uh, to build some momentum over the next few matches, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've had, I think you look at the first eight games we had, so plenty of tough ones in there. Chelsea away is always a difficult one, no matter how much like they, they might have been struggling over the last year or so. Like Newcastle away. Spurs, who, who are right up there at the top this season. Brighton, who, again, had this that kind of become like, the top six or seventh team at this at this stage. They had all of those away. Heavy Villa, West Ham, both of them in Europe had to play those in our first eight as well. So to come through those with you know, 17 points on the board, I think, was is was a tie that we probably would have taken at the, at the outset. But this period now is where if Liverpool are to they genuinely be title challengers this season. Twelve points out of twelve, no exceptions. They with and that is not being disingenuous to the opposition that we're facing. I think it's just the reality of this league that when you have like Everton, Forest, Luton, Brentford, who prior to yesterday were all thirteenth or lower, and you have three of those games at home, and the one away is is Luton, who again are probably are well, they, they have shown signs of life over the last month or so, are realistically probably going to be scrapping down at the bottom. That is the period where you say, if you're serious about challenging for the league title, you hoover up maximum points in those games. It's not going to be, you know, very straightforward. I mean, I expect with those three matches that our opponents will all ask questions of us. You know, it could be. Again, the classic case of like them scoring first and us having to scrap and come from behind once again, or could be one of those where we like yesterday we dig in, be patient and just find a way. Um but that's all right. I mean okay I'm okay with that as long as we get the job done. Um but yeah, this is I think this proving now in the November internationals is prime time to take advantage of the fixtures because 
what's the first one we come back after the November international break? Man City away. City away, yeah. So that is, I think, if we, that's when you when you look at that and when you look at how hectic the schedule is going to be in December, and uh, we think we're at like Man United and Arsenal in the same week just before Christmas. This is the period between now and mid November where you hit the turbo, you go, you get every point that's available to you, and you go into that busy pre Christmas period in as as position as possible. Let's not worry about what the other teams are going to do. Let's just get our own job done. Yeah, I saw a, um, I was just looking forward to that. I wasn't able to find it, but I saw a tweet yesterday saying that, you know, football is a game of 11 v 11. But the question of a pool ask is, what if it wasn't? Because I think, I mean, how many games? We played nine games this season. Now, is that four of them that have featured a red card on, on either side? Um, so I, I also think in addition to kind of being an opportunity to um, get, gain some ground on our rivals, we've got trickier matches that the next one is also going to tell us quite a bit about this this side as well, just in terms of hopefully things kind of settle down a little bit and we get more of a read because it feels like for one reason or another, each match has, has been quite unique. I think we need to kind of have some more representative games now and, and just kind of see where this team is at fully because, you know, by the time we get to that the next international break, I think it will have been sort of 12 games played and I think that's an acceptable point to really kind of make a, a judgment on a team because mm-hmm. um, you're sort of getting to, towards the point where you're nearly a third of the way through the season. So, yeah, we'll kind of see where we're at. But the first focus for Liverpool is on playing to lose in the Europa League in their third group game where they obviously have the opportunity to continue their 100% record and we'll be back with our next episode after that one. In the meantime, if you have enjoyed this episode and our recent content, please do give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on and also follow the podcast and press the notification button too. But yeah, like I say, we'll be back in midweek for episode 164. But thanks for joining us for this one and we'll see you then.